Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparola, and concerts by the CSO on Thursday, March 30th through Tuesday, April 4th, feature guest conductor Bernard Labadie and guitar soloist Pablo Sainz Viegas. The program includes Symphony No. 26 by Luigi Boccherini, Vivaldi's Guitar Concerto in D, Boccherini's Introduction and Fandango from the Guitar Quintet No. 4 in the arrangement by Juan Carlos Cuello, and after intermission, Symphony No. 40 by Mozart. And here are notes by guest annotator David Schrader on the Boccherini Symphony No. 26, a work lasting about 21 minutes. Luigi Boccherini came from the city of Lucca in the region of Tuscany, then part of the Holy Roman Empire, and was taught by his father and others and made his debut as a solo cellist at the age of 13. He was summoned to Austria's imperial capital of Vienna in 1757, where he played in the orchestra of the court theater. In 1760, he returned to Lucca, but was again in Vienna during 1763. He traveled to Paris in 1767, where he was well-received under the name, by the way, of Boccherini, with a Q. It appears that he went to Madrid, possibly at the instigation of the Spanish ambassador, sometime during 1767-68. The publication of a set of string quartets was dedicated to Don Luis, the Spanish Infante, heir to the throne. Boccherini was to spend more than half his life in Spain. Boccherini was frequently compared with Haydn, although Haydn exceeded him in the number of symphonies written. Boccherini also excelled in the form, although his sense of form was more fluid than Haydn's intricately developed symphonies. The symphony heard in these performances is in the key of C minor, one often associated with solemnity or intense emotion, somewhat reflective of what is called Sturm und Drang, storm and stress, in the Viennese classical tradition. In general, it can be said that Boccherini's music emphasizes a melancholy quality as opposed to the more optimistic and brighter approach of Haydn. As late as 1835, the French lexicographer Fétis said, His ideas, always graceful, often melancholy, possess an inexpressible charm through their naivete. There is also an interesting comparison with Mozart by a writer by the name of Schau. But what a difference between Mozart and a Boccherini. The former leads us between jagged rocks in a thorny forest. The latter, in contrast, into a smiling country, grades with blooming pastures, clear-flowing brooks, and thick groves, wherein the spirit itself gives itself up with pleasure to sweet melancholy. Notes by David Schrader on the Boccherini Symphony No. 26. And now on to Schrader's notes for the introduction and fandango from Boccherini's Guitar Quintet No. 4 in D, the arrangement by Juan Carlos Cuello. The performance time, around eight minutes. While Boccherini's symphonies are of great quality, it was in chamber music that he is still most admired. Along with Haydn, he was a great contributor to the string quartet and was among the first to compose string quintets. Most of the time, the arrangement of instruments for such an ensemble included an extra cello. And it is from this genre that the guitar quintet comes. 
unusual here is the use of the distinctly Spanish dance, the Fandango, sometimes called a dance of courtship, described here by a writer named Borgoing. The Fandango is danced by only two people who never touch one another, not ever with their hands, but to see them provoke one another by turns retreating to a distance and advancing closely again, how she is pursued and in her turn pursues him. A fandango is based on a repeating sequence of harmonies, sometimes slightly varied in triple time. Based on the quote above, it is a dance of great intensity and not a little eroticism that increases until a final cadence. Another fandango by Boccherini's older contemporary Padre Antonio Soler for keyboard does not include a major key introduction, as does Boccherini's. It's possible that Boccherini encountered the fandango because of his long connection with Spain. It's intriguing to think of Boccherini's possibly traveling with members of the royal family on their sojourns to El Escorial during the autumn season every year. Nevertheless, both fandangos work in the same driven manner. Boccherini's work incorporates the distinctly Spanish instrument, the guitar, into a wonderfully exciting piece. Notes on the Boccherini Introduction and Fandango from Guitar Quintet No. 4. Those notes by David Schrader, an American harpsichordist, organist, and forte pianist. And now on to Philip Huscher's program notes on the Symphony No. 40 by Mozart. The symphony lasts about 26 minutes. Ironically, it is Mozart's last three symphonies rather than the famous Requiem that remain the mystery of his final years. Almost as soon as Mozart died, romantic myth attached itself to the unfinished pages of the Requiem left scattered on his bed. A host of questions, who commissioned the work, who finished it, was Mozart poisoned, inspired painters, novelists, biographers, librettists, playwrights, and screenwriters to heights of imaginative recreation. We now know those answers. The Requiem is unfinished, but not unexplained. The final symphonies, on the other hand, number 39 in E-flat, the great G minor, number 40, and the Jupiter, number 41, continue to beg more questions than we can answer. Even what was once the most provocative fact about these works, that Mozart never heard them, is now doubtful. We no longer believe that Mozart wrote these three great symphonies for the drawer alone. That goes against all we know of his working methods, but we don't know what orchestra or occasion he had in mind. Apparently, a series of subscription concerts was planned for the summer of 1788 when Mozart entered the three symphonies in his catalog, but there is no evidence that the performances took place. It's likely that the works were conceived as a trilogy with publication in mind. Symphonies often were printed in groups of three, but they were not published during Mozart's lifetime. Did Mozart ever hear them? Even if the projected subscription series of 1788 never took place, Mozart did tour Germany the following year, conducting concerts for which we have only sketchy details. A symphony, for example, was advertised for the program at the Leipzig Gewandhaus on May 12th. And back home in Vienna, no less a musical big shop than Antonio Salieri, conducted concerts on April 16th and 17th, 1791, featuring a grand symphony by Mozart. The fact that the G minor symphony exists in two versions, with and without clarinets, argues that Mozart revised the score for a specific performance. 
No Mozart symphony, not even the brilliant Jupiter, has caused as much commotion over the years as this one in G minor, sometimes known as the Great, to distinguish it from an earlier symphony in the same key. It was one of a handful of Mozart works to capture the romantic imagination. Like the D minor piano concerto K-466, it was played and admired even when Mozart's reputation was at its lowest. It's also one of the pieces that hints at the music Mozart might have written had he lived. It inspired later composers, certainly just listen to the minuet of Schubert's Fifth Symphony. As with the greatest art, Mozart's music means vastly different things to different people. Robert Schumann loved its Grecian likeness and grace. What carried it through the 19th century, however, was the force of its tragic power and its emotional complexity. Like Beethoven's Fifth, Mozart's G minor symphony opens with material as famous as it is simple. In those few notes, some nervous pulsing from the violas and an unmelodious stammering from the violins lies one of Mozart's unforgettable gestures. Fifty years after Mozart's death, Franz Liszt produced piano arrangements of Beethoven's nine symphonies, claiming that aside from sheer volume and variety of timbre, one could reproduce the essence of such music at the keyboard. Mendelssohn later commented, well, if he can play the beginning of Mozart's G minor symphony as it sounds in the band, I will believe him. A response from Liszt is not recorded, but it takes no more than a few seconds at the piano to prove Mendelssohn's point. The movement progresses with such regularity, and at an urgent no-nonsense clip, Mozart stepped up the tempo from his original Allegro Assai to Molto Allegro that we are totally unprepared for the sudden harmonic jolts of the development section. Those few rocky pages, however, do warn us of the wrenching chromaticism in the Andante that follows and of the eight unison bars in the finale that still sound completely haywire today. The Andante is so poignant and so touching that we may not even realize that it's in a major key. Although it follows all the rules, the powerful minuet suggests many things, but not social dancing. Despite its inherent turbulence, the persistence of G minor and the eight measures at the start of the development that push us toward Schoenberg 200 years before his time, the last movement, like a great opera finale, ultimately creates order. Program notes by Philip Husher on Mozart's Symphony No. 40. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.